0: Your your mother, your father, your siblings, and extended family people, and guess what happens? Lo and behold, and and at school things happen, and think you get hurt, and you get hurt deeply, and and in the depth of that hurt, uh, you you build, um, you know, you you accept a lie about yourself, and then you, that's that just begins to formulate the grid system of your mind, and so over time you've built this complex grid system of thinking that is lie-based rather than based on truth. And so every time you have an experience with someone, everything has to filter through that grid. So for example, if you uh, felt after experiences in life early on that you're a nobody, right? You're not pretty enough, you're not good enough, you don't measure upright. I mean, just whatever the lies that you've believed about yourself. And if somebody will walk up to you, let's say in church, and say, Hey, you know, I really like that dress you're wearing. It really makes you look pretty. You know how you've got to filter that? I'm not pretty. I'm ugly. I, 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 they're lying to me. They want something from me. They're, they're, just, they're just saying that because they have to. They're in church and because it's filtering through all of this. Well, the same thing happens to us in our walk with God, is that in our experiences, for example, with your father, your earthly father is very important because those experiences often get translated to God the Father. And so if you had a wonderful family, a wonderful relationship with your dad, great, but for many of you, you did not. And there were things that happened, things that transpired. And so you projected those things upon your relationship with God. For example, if, if you think that God is harsh and demanding because your father was harsh and demanding, well, it's really hard to walk in close intimacy with somebody who is harsh and demanding. Is it not? Because you're always walking on eggshells. It's like, well, what if I say the wrong thing? I don't know if I do the wrong thing. So in this series, we have just been exposing some of the lies that have formulated the grid system of your thought processes that has created distance between you and your Heavenly Father to the extent that you really never feel at home with Him. Now, you may not voice it that way. You may not openly express it that way to someone else. But we're, we, we've just been peeling back the onion, right? So the first lie we talked about of the enemy is that God is against you. God is really against you. And and the way that you formulate that can be many, many different ways. But The way you think God is against you is is sometimes you say, well, God, you know, you're trying to pray with God. And and you've experienced a disappointment. You had an expectation of God. God didn't come through. and, And all of a sudden, you are disappointed because that's what happens when we have an expectation of someone. And they don't follow through with our expectation. Now we're disappointed. And so all of a sudden, now the enemy comes along and says, well, you know, the reason why God has so disappointed you is because he's against you. You don't measure up. You're not spiritual enough. You're not holy enough. You're, you're not into God enough. And so now he's just like turning his back on you. Because maybe that's what happened to you in life with your own father. And so you know I come from a home where my father abandoned our family when I was young. And so this was, what, this was a lie of the enemy that used against me. God's against you. Here's why he's against you. Because I carried around all of the shame and guilt thinking that, you know, well, what did I do to cause my father to leave? And why did he do that? And, and so I had so many an, unanswered questions. The truth of the gospel is God is for you. The lie we others, another lie is God cannot be trusted. And there are a lot of people who struggle with trusting God because, again, you were trusting God in some area of your life and it didn't work out as you expected it. Therefore, the truth is that God has proven himself to be trustworthy. so we've gone through a number of lies, and so here's the one I want to tackle today, and that the lie of the enemy is, is that God's love and acceptance and we're going to see this through the older son God's love and acceptance must be earned. You have to earn his love. You have to earn his acceptance. You have to earn his favor. That's what religion is all about. I I didn't say relationship, I said religion. What God wants is relationship that's not built on that because the truth of the gospel is that God's love and acceptance of you is embraced. It's not something that you earn. It is embraced through Christ. Jesus has done all the work on your behalf. He stood in your place. That is the essence of the gospel, Jesus in my place. And so there are three uh, stories that I want to touch on today. One is out of the prodigal son on the uh, older brother. Another one is out of Jonah's life and out of Hosea's life. And here's why I want you to see these because in order for us, in order for us to truly, truly, truly embrace and accept God's love and acceptance of us, there are some things that we have to experience in order to just move it from our head you know, okay, this is what the Bible teaches. God is love and God's created me out of love. and God loves me and God demonstrated his love for me that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Yeah, I get all that. I got all that, but I'm still disappointed. I'm still hurt and I, I'm still, I've had a lot of questions that are not getting answered and therefore I'm having a real hard time drawing into intimacy with my father. I don't know that he can be trusted. I don't know that I've earned His love and acceptance. And so you're trying to move all this truth that you have in your head down into your heart, but you're not sure how to get there. All right, so in the prodigal son, I just call this, uh, the father is pursuing, he is pursuing the deserter. Right? He's pursuing the deserter. Who's the deserter? Well, the deserter was the, the younger son. But the older son also deserted the father. He just did it in a different way. Both of them had the same concept, is that they, re- they really, really, really wanted God's, their father's stuff. They wanted the inheritance. They wanted everything he could do for them, but they just really didn't want the relationship. And so sometimes we come into this, this, this walk with God and in our minds, we think, you know, I I really, really, really want the relationship, but then we kind of get sidetracked and, um, you see, earning something resonates with us because that's the way life is, right? If you're going to get a good grade in school, you have to earn it. You don't want to cheat your way there because then again, you just walk around with guilt and shame unless your conscience has been seared, then you don't feel guilty about anything. Right? So you have learned. You have learned even with your parents that if you behave properly, what happens? Good things happen to you. When you misbehave, bad things happen to you. You learned that very early on. If you were like, okay, so recently, we were at our youngest daughter's house, and my little angel, Ava, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter is sitting in her high chair, and in grandpa's eyes, Ava can do no wrong and so we're sitting there at the table, and uh, Marissa says something to Ava and says, uh, Ava, don't do that. And with, with the greatest look of defiance that she could ever muster up, she's like, took her food and went. And, and the whole time, my, my daughter's going, Ava, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. <clears throat> right on the floor. Well, how did Grandpa respond? I was laughing, right? So um, I'm dying laughing. I was like... And my like, you got to stop laughing. you got to stop laughing. She's going to. Sure enough, my daughter says, do not do that again. <laughs> Plop. Right on the floor. And so I'm laughing. And then my daughter gives me the look. I said, it's like looking in the mirror, isn't it? That's just exactly the way you were. Exactly the way you were. And as she got older, she stopped throwing her food on the floor. But here's what she would do. Is that if you told her to do something, here's her first response. Well, what if I don't? What if I don't? She wants to know what the consequence is as to whether or not she's going to obey or, or disobey. See, we, we, we resonate with this, this sense of we have to earn something and, uh, and we have to look a certain way, we have to act a certain way, we have to perform a certain way in order to acquire love and acceptance from other people. That's just the way we are wired. And we often project that onto... God, And yet the message of the Bible is all about the generosity of God. He created everything. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from the Father above. And He stood in our place that we might have this father-son relationship and father-daughter relationship. And He's given us His Holy Spirit to enable us to do even those things that we sometimes don't even desire to do. He gives us the desire. He changes our want to, not because we're trying to earn God's favor, not because we're trying to earn His acceptance, but simply because this is a gift that God gives to us through his son. So the question I often get from people is, "Well, hey, listen, what does God really want from me? How would you answer that? Somebody come up and you say, hey, I don't, I, I don't get it. What does God really want? Do you know what God wants from you? Yeah, a relationship to know you and to love you and to be loved in return. But when God equipped you with a free will, You don't have to love him in return, do you? God can't force you to love him. He can't even force you to like him. You can't force somebody else to love you. You can't make somebody obey. You can make your children obey because they're under your authority, right? They understand if I don't obey, I'm going to get put in time out. I might get a spanking. Something bad's going to happen, you know, as a result of my disobedience. But over time, when they leave your house, guess what? They don't have to obey you anymore as much as you would like for them to do that. And so as we have seen through the life of the younger son, he demanded his stuff, but he no longer was interested in the relationship. And we've noted that the orphan spirit is lived either in rebellion or religion. It is fear-driven. It is lie-based. And this is something we all struggle with. So the older brother is getting real religious Religious simply means that he is trying to earn something that the father wants to freely give. And so if you look at his um, responses, it says in, well, let's pick it up in verse um, 28. The older brother, you know, 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he hears the music dancing. He calls the one of the servants, the brother come. He replied, father has killed your dad's killed the fatted calf. I mean, this was a a sacred moment here. This is for a big party because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, what's what's first thing he does? Becomes angry. Refuses to go in. So his father went out, pleaded with him, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered, all of your property with prostitutes comes home and you've killed the fatted calf? My, my, watch the father's response. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate because your brother, man, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. You'll notice that the older brother could not celebrate. Couldn't do it. And then watch this. Jesus drops the mic and he walks away. Now remember, he is is given these parables in response to the thoughts of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who believed the reason Jesus should not be hanging around tax collectors and sinners is because they have not done enough to earn God's love and acceptance. They've not worked hard enough. Listen, you you don't even you don't deserve a party with Jesus. You don't deserve him having you over for dinner. Well, you've not done enough. You've not earned this right. We have. We, we've, we've, we've obeyed the law, man, to the T. We, we've done everything we need to do. And they just they couldn't bring themselves. And it, would make them, it made them angry that Jesus would hang out with such people. And so when you put this whole uh, parable together... Because what has Christ done for us? Jesus, when we came to faith in him, he robed us in his righteousness. Right? so. Regardless of what we've done wrong, regardless of what sin may be attached to our account, God paid it in full and he robed us in the righteousness of Christ so that we are in Jesus he is in us. So when the Father looks upon us, He see, look he's, he's loving us and he's accepting us through Christ and what Jesus has done. He's put on our finger the signet ring which gives us power and authority to operate in the kingdom of God because Jesus gave us that power and authority to operate in the kingdom of God and he put sandals on our feet. Think about what sandals on your feet. What's the dirtiest part of your body when you're roaming around dirty roads? It's your feet, right? And so Jesus displayed humility by washing his disciples' feet. And so it's like God will go to the lowest point of where you are. He'll go to the dirtiest, smelliest part of your body, and he will wash your feet. He washes you. He cleanses you. He makes you whole. He he accepts you. He kills the fatted calf. Because here's what the Bible says, that in the end, when it's all said and done, when this world is over with, that God's going to have another celebration. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And you and I will be sitting around the table of the lamb. Jesus, the lamb of God will come and serve us. Why are we at that table? We are at that table because Jesus clothed us in his righteousness. He put upon us his signet ring. He, he sandaled our feet and he is the one who killed the fatted calf on our behalf because of his sacrifice. See, that's God's love. That's God's acceptance. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. It's not about me working for God's favor. It's not about me earning God's acceptance. God's love and acceptance for me and for you is found in Christ. Don't ever let anybody talk you out of that. Don't let the enemy You know, get into your thought processes that well. You know, the reason this is happening and the reason this didn't go that way is is because you know I I must have done something that ticked God off. I must have angered Him in some way, and therefore He's just He's just not going to do it for me. Now, granted, uh, we can get engaged in sin issues in which the Father has to to discipline us, but that's that's something completely different. Um, the elder brother lived in religion, moral conformity. He's trying to work really hard, comply, submit, conform. Because here's, here's what happens when you, you're steeped in religion. When I'm working for God's love and I'm working for his acceptance and I'm complying, I'm conforming. Lord, I, I've obeyed you. I've done this, 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 and this. And we can rattle off our little list. God, and here's what the elder son was saying to the father. And this is what we say to God. You owe me. You owe me. So when you set up the expectation, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, God, you owe me this one because I've done this, 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 and this. And and then when God doesn't come through, as you expect him to, there's huge disappointment. There's hurt. Hurt never remains as hurt. Hurt always evolves into anger and resentment and bitterness. And for many of you, you're so bitter at God, but you just won't admit it and so there is distance and there there is no intimacy and you just don't feel at home with the father anymore you can listen to it in our prayers because our prayers are comprised of give me give me give me give me give me help me help me help me help me, help me, help me protect me protect me protect me and when god doesn't come through we say in our hearts But God, I have done everything you asked me to do. And you didn't come through for me. You never killed a fatted calf for me. If you are the oldest child in your family, you resonate with the older brother, don't you? My wife resonates with him. She was the compliant child. She was the one that followed all the rules, gave her parents no problems. Her younger sister was the rebellious one, and she's out in deep rebellion. And it just seemed like uh, she always got the fatted calf killed for her, and and so she, my wife, just felt like you know she was the favorite child, and, and they bent over backwards for her and did things for her that they didn't. So she resonates with this this uh, elder son, and so do some of you. Because you're comparing yourself to other people. It's like, Lord, you know what? I've watched this person. I've observed this person's life. And, Lord, you know, I, I see how you're blessing them, and they really don't deserve that. Now, I do, uh, but they don't deserve it. They, they have not, you know, lived right long enough, and they've not complied with you. And, and, and there's a rebellious streak in their life that you've not taken care of, and I don't understand why. Everything seems to work out for them, but it never seems to work out for me. And so God pursues, and God never stops pursuing us. Here's the, num- the, the second story. Is that Jonah, Jonah is forgiving the unforgivable. And we'll see how these three tie together in just a moment. So you remember that the story of Jonah. Back in the Old Testament, um, Jonah is a prophet of God, and God tells him to go down to Nineveh. And uh, the Ninevites were very evil, very cruel people, uh, you know they 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 were just vicious as warriors, and in fact you can um, uh, you can read some of the annals of the kings and w- the statements they made, and all the way back when uh, they were just they're very vile people, and so um, Jonah refused. And you'll recall that he went in the exact opposite direction, right? Go to Nineveh. Jonah says, nope, I'm not going there. And out uh, of rebellion, he just goes the opposite direction. He goes down to Tarshish. He finds a ship. He gets on the ship and he sets sail. And all of a sudden, God sends this you know, huge storm. And the sailors, uh, they are fearing for their life. And it's discovered that, hey, Jonah's the cause of this. They cast him overboard. And then he's swallowed by a great fish. And so, uh, you know, again, why... Why why is Jonah why is Jonah not eager to go and plant a church in Nineveh? Well he's not eager because he realizes that the, the Ninevites are the enemies of Israel. And they have suffered under their cruelty in the past, and he's not anxious. I mean His response, if brash, it was at least honest. He said, God, you know what? The reason I don't want to go is because I'm afraid that if I go, you're going to show your mercy towards these people and and you're going to forgive them for what they've done. I want them to turn and burn, right? You know, it's like, I want them to burn. I forget the turning thing. I just want them to burn. I want you to destroy them. You read between the lines, right? So it's like, God, get them back. They deserve, they deserve not your mercy, what they deserve is your wrath. I, I'm not going. And so you can, you can imagine, let's put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a moment. Let's say that you are a parent and there's a terrorist group, ISIS comes in, nabs your children, takes them out, kills them, and then God sends a calling to you to go to the ISIS and share the gospel with them so that he might show favor to them even though they've killed your children. That's kind of what Jonah is is facing. So you can begin to resignate a little bit and understand his hesitancy about wanting to go to Nineveh in case God would show mercy on them and forgive them for all that they've done. So this is kind of, this is the battle that's going on inside of his mind. So he runs in the uh, other direction. God, you know, puts a big fish in charge of, of Jonah. Jonah changes his mind. Why did he change his mind? Why did he reconsider you got tired of living in the belly of a whale, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I would change my mind. Uh, you know, it'd be one thing if God swallowed me up with a big fish and I just died, okay? But that'd be one thing. But if you're living in it, and so, you know, for three days we, we find in Scripture, and so to Jonah's disappointment, sure enough, uh, God does not change the assignment he spits him out on the shoreline of the Ninevites. He goes into Nineveh. He preaches. I mean, he's, he doesn't get out a couple sentences, is his message. And all of a sudden, the entire city, king and all, they repent of their sin and they turn their, their hearts and their life to God. And Jonah responds he's mad. He's ticked off. He's angry. So he goes up on the side of a hill and he's just sitting there pouting God, I can't believe you did this. This is, why, this is why I didn't want to come. I knew this is the way you would respond. I, I knew this is what you would do if they turned their lives to you. I don't understand, God. I, I, it's just not fair. And th- there's a gourd that you know, grows up and kind of gives him a little bit of shelter from the sun. And he's just whining and complaining. And um, he sa- here's what he said. Chapter 4. He says, oh, Lord, not, is this not what I said? While I was yet in my country, this is why I I, I haste, made haste and fled to Tarshish. For I watch this. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah couldn't understand it. How could God love? the Ninevites. How could he do that? Did he not know? Did he not understand? Had he not seen the way that they acted? And so God not only shows compassion to Israel's oppressors, he made Jonah, of all people who suffered personally at their hands, deliver the message. Why not send somebody else? Because watch this, God wanted Jonah to taste firsthand God's extravagant Love as he loved Israel, as he loved Jonah. He says, I want you to taste of this. I know this is your enemy, but I want you to taste of the extravagant love I I am going to place on this nation because this is the same extravagant love I have showered upon you and the nation of Israel. But think about this. Had Israel always walked with God? They're constantly going back, you know, backwards, three steps forward, 15 backwards, complaining, groaning, mumbling against God, all the things. That, and so God just continued what? Pursuing them. He continued forgiving just as he forgave the, what Jonah perceived as the unforgivable, God forgave the unforgivable. Listen, I don't care what you've done, how far you've strayed, where you've been, where you're going. If you come to Jesus, God will, all, God will forgive you. You may perceive yourself as being unforgivable because I hear people say this all the time. Well, uh, I wish Jesus could forgive me, but you don't understand. I've committed the unpardonable sin. No, you haven't. You, can't, you cannot complete the unpardonable sin until you die having rejected Jesus. It's the sin of unbelief. And so all forgiveness comes to us through Christ, who has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so Jonah had to experience great personal injustice in order to understand the scandalous love of God for sinners like him. And sometimes we experience Great injustice towards us. And oftentimes when we experience that from someone, we're like the disciples. It's like, hey, Lord, how about we just pray a little fire down on these people? Let's get back at them. And got really what God wants us to experience is his, his scandalous love. Is there anyone that's hurt you so deeply that in the back of your mind you thought, man, I hope they never come to Jesus. You know how many people have a real difficult time, Christians? Somebody commits a, a crime, murders somebody, maybe it's a family member. They're sent to prison for the rest of their life. They get saved in prison. And people will say to me, I can't believe in a God like that. How in the world could He ever erase their debt and set them free? I can't do that. A wedge. They never feel at home with the Father anymore. Here's the last one. Hosea, loving the unlovable. You think Jonah's assignment's bad. Nothing compared to Hosea. Right? Go take for yourself an adulterous wife. It says in Hosea chapter 1, and, uh, and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So you see, God views idolatry putting someone in his place as adultery. That's how he sees it. That's how it, that's how it would feel to him. And so, uh, I mean, think about this. How would you like to graduate, from, be Hosea, graduate from seminary, and your first assignment is, you know, all your buddies are going, like, to the big churches, and, uh, you know, they're, they're pastoring all the, the mega churches, and God says, well, I got an assignment for you, Greg. Uh, I want you to go marry a prostitute who's already got some kids from other guys." Well, thank you very much, Lord. Uh, Yeah, I'll get right to that. Um, And if that's that's not bad enough, her name is Gomer. (laughs) Now, there's only one Gomer I know of, and that was on the Andy Griffith show. He wasn't a real bright guy, okay? Nobody names their daughter Gomer, right? So now, I have I married a prostitute, her name is Gomer, she's already at... Other kids from other men. And so Hosea, though he he obeys God. And he genuinely tried to love her and to build a family with her. But it wasn't long. She returned to her old ways. She took on another lover and a man who abused her. And Hosea pleaded with her to come back. And she wouldn't. And then then he gave her abuser money to help take care of her. And then eventually her, her lover got tired of her and threw her back into the, into the slave trade. Now let's just put her back on the, on the trade block, see what kind of money I can get out of her. And so God says to Hosea, now I want you to go back and purchase her back. And Hosea doesn't even have enough money to purchase her back because they were going for about 30 shekels and he only had 15, so he had to make up the difference in like kind. So I mean, Hosea is putting it all on the line. Why did God put Hosea through such humiliation? Because there are certain dimensions of God's love that are better experienced than they are explained. And so we're like the prodigal son, the the, the deserter who pursues, you know, the the, the father. We are like Nineveh, the the forgiven of the unforgivable. And we're like Gomer, you know, being loved... Uh, even though we consider ourselves unlovable, and so God God within his legal rights could have walked away from us, but he has never stopped his relentless pursuit of you. That is the truth of the gospel. Is that God's love and acceptance for you is not based on what you do, it's not based on how you look, it's not based how you view yourself or what kind of, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to live up to or or how you're trying to earn God's love or favor. It's not based on any of that. It is based on God's love for you, a scandalous love that says, "I will pursue you. I will love you forever. I will forgive you of anything." I I will. I don't care how unlovable you think you are. I will love you because that's who I am. And so God was saying to Hosea, Hosea, you and I have both given our hearts to people who will utterly reject us. And we will spend our years chasing after them. And until you experience that personally, you won't grasp the magnificence of, of my love. And so Hosea 11:8 says, God laments in what might be the most remarkable verse in the Old Testament. He says, "Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? My heart is torn within me. How can I let you go?" You know the name Gomer in Hebrew means completion. And what God was saying is this my heart for you, my my love for you is so deep, and my heart for you is so torn that I will never feel complete until you are at home with me. And I will go to any lengths necessary to make sure that happens. That's God's love for you. Don't believe the lie, embrace God's truth. here's where we get into trouble and close with this. I really have a lot more I could say, but our default mechanism in our lives is to run, to wander, um, to try to earn something that's freely offered. And so we begin to put self at the center of our lives And we have convinced ourselves that God's whole purpose for this relationship is to make me happy. To make me happy. That's God's intent. Now, be very careful with this because it's a subtle move of the enemy. God did not create you to make you happy. God created you for his glory. In fact, everything that God does is for his own glory. So that's why Paul would say to us, it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink, whatever you do, do it unto the glory of God. Get self off the throne, put Jesus back in his rightful place, because if you do not, it's just a matter of time before you begin to treat God like the elder brother did, or like the younger brother. That God is, it's not about relationship, it's about what I can get. It's what I think I earned. It's what I think I deserve. It's what I think is mine. And so God becomes our cosmic butler to be there in times of emergency, in times of distress, and so all of a sudden this relationship gets put on the back burner. Self-centeredness is something that we all struggle with. That's why when you, somebody takes a picture of you and a group of people, what determines whether or not that picture is good? Good. It's based on how you look, right? If you don't look right, then no, the picture's not right. That's just the way we are. That's the way we are, we are wired. It doesn't matter how others in the picture look. It's just a question of how do you look? And uh, it's a pretty good metaphor of our lives. If things are going well for us, we believe that we're having a good life. And again, most of our prayer lives uh, uh, unveil this for us. You know, if you're having a bad, bad day, Do you feel like you can approach God and pray and expect an answer as opposed to you're having a really good day and it's like, okay, now I know God's going to answer because I was really good today. And so you're still basing your relationship upon works and upon favor and earning. So what did God do when his subjects rebelled against him? Here's what God did. He left his throne in heaven. He made his way across the skies, probably riding on the same stallion he's going to ride upon when he enters into this world and his second coming. But rather than coming in the majesty of a king, he derobed himself, he stepped off the horse, he came into the world, he humbled himself, and came as a baby. And he considered his journey to the cross as joy and the reason he considered it as joy is because he knew he was paving for every single one of us a pathway that would lead us into the very front door of God's eternal home and so the Bible says it is at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord so the bottom line of this message is simply this You will never, ever, ever feel at home with your heavenly father until he is at the center of your life once again. So whatever the barrier, whatever wall you've erected, you need to bring it down. Because there is a God who loves you and wants you to experience that eternal love, that eternal joy. But as long as you're harboring, as long as you're hanging on, to all the hurt and the anger and the bitterness and the resentment and everything else, whether it's towards somebody else or towards God himself, you're never going to feel at home with your Father. Let's bow our heads together.